Hi everyone, welcome to the Imperfection Wins podcast, a podcast that is focused on spreading a message of encouragement, grace, and authenticity with a focus on life, leadership, and service to others. I'm so thrilled to have my first special guest on today to continue our series on imposter syndrome and being enough. Please welcome Dr. Renee St. Jacques. She is a licensed psychologist and an experienced corporate professional and executive coach. And she loves applying the science of psychology into everyday life in practical ways. And I am so excited that she's here for us today to just give us a different take on this whole concept of imposter syndrome and being enough. So welcome, Renee. So happy to have you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Uh, I bring a very unique blend of experience and expertise as a guest today. On one hand, I started my career in corporate America as a marketer, manager, business consultant, and very familiar with the stressors uh, and psychological challenges in the workplace. And on the other hand, I'm passionate about mental and psychological health and emotional intelligence as a practicing therapist and psychologist. Exec coaching is where I bring the two sides together, whether at home or at home at, at work. I'm extremely passionate about people being whole and healed so they can maximize their potential. I love that. Amen to healing. And for those of you that have not experienced executive coaching, Renee truly takes it to a whole new level. I've seen her in a professional setting and people just really respond to her style. She's empathetic yet firm and provides a lot of clarity. We'll tell you at the end of the episode how to get in touch with Renee if you're interested in talking with her more. So Renee, today you're going to share some of your insights with us on imposter syndrome and being enough. And I know you had a chance to listen to my last podcast and have a lot to add, I'm sure. Um, One of the reasons I'm so excited that you're here today is that you're going to be able to share your insight with us from a scientific standpoint. You know, in my podcast, as um, all of my listeners know, and you probably know now, my podcasts are really based on my life experience, my work experience, other people's stories that I have an opportunity to share, a lot of reading um, and intuition. But there's not, I wouldn't say there's a lot of scientific rigor to to what I'm sharing. So I'm really excited that you're gonna able, be able to bring an element of science and psychology to this discussion because I really do think it can be sort of complicated mm-hmm. for people to understand. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's jump in. So let's start with something that's been on my mind since I recorded my imposter series um, or my imposter syndrome episode. So I have been, this is a two-part question. I was surprised Mm -hmm. at how many people didn't know the term imposter syndrome or what it was. And yet if I said the term being enough, it clicked with people. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. But people in corporate environments seem to know about imposter syndrome, but a lot of other people didn't know what it was. So the first part of the question is, can you explain to us what it is? Is it actually a syndrome? It sounds really scary. Um, and the other piece of the question is that one of the things that I talked about in the podcast was that I read in a few places that it's estimated that about 70% of the population struggles with this. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just curious if you feel like that's 
too high, too low, or based on your experience in treating patients and being in corporate, what, what you feel? Sure. So just to address the syndrome question, so first of all, the word syndrome can be very scary. <laughs> We're not talking about a disorder here, right? There's a difference between imposter syndrome, which is basically a label to just understand the dynamic of not feeling enough, feeling a, like a fake, right? Kind of second guessing yourself. That's just basically what that imposter syndrome term can coin, right? And really, really be um, capturing. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to a diagnosable disorder, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like depression or anxiety or OCD, et cetera, right? Those are debilitating, right? They're they're, uh, disorders that actually are mental health conditions where people are struggling and they can't function on some level. And they're meeting a criteria of symptoms right and so this is not what we're talking about here right we're talking about just a general experience of not feeling enough which Mm -hmm. is very common so to your question about the general population about 70 percent is impacted by this well i would say that's actually low to Mm -hmm. in my point of view i think everybody Mm -hmm. struggles with this on some level maybe in some arenas more than others Mm -hmm. right Maybe one person, it's just every arena, they yeah. feel not enough. And some, it's like, okay, I got it at work, but I don't feel enough as a dad. Mm-hmm. I don't feel enough with my my uh, spouse, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? So really thinking about that difference. So let's go down a route here where I provide an overview of what I believe is the root I would love that. Imposter syndrome. I would love that because one of the things that you just said that I think is so refreshing to Mm -hmm. me is Mm -hmm. that after reading a lot about imposter syndrome and after struggling with it with myself or coaching other people that are struggling Mm -hmm. with it, um, so many of the articles, the books, they focus on imposter syndrome in a work setting. And I really feel like you can experience it Mm -hmm. in all the areas of your life. I I certainly have. And I think a lot of other people Mm -hmm. have too. So I love that you, Mm -hmm. you believe that also. Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's get to the root of it. Yeah. So we'll talk about the root. Where does it originate from? Why it bothers us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it originated in our past. Why does it still bother us? And then what to do about it so it's not hampering our success. Yes. Right? Yeah. Really, it really does yes. hamper our freedom and, and ability to be everything you were created to be, yeah. right? And so this is uh, one of those things where, okay, we think about insecurity or anxiety or stress. Those are kind of ways that people experience this. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that we're contextual beings. Mm-hmm. So there is a origin story to that feeling of I'm not enough, mm-hmm. right? And so when I think about attachment theory, so attachment theory is simply where people have studied that the primary caregiver that somebody has, when they are able to attach or bond with that person, they have security, kind of like it becomes a template for other relationships later in life. Very similarly to that, we actually have an imprint, I think, around our feeling of belonging mm-hmm. and um, that we're wanted, we're needed, we're loved, that carries on for the rest of mm-hmm. our life. 
but the good news and why I'm so passionate about attachment theory um, and use it a lot in my in my counseling is it can be changed. Mm-hmm. It can be repaired, right? And so similarly with what I'm gonna talk about with imposter syndrome, these are all things that we can change even mm-hmm. though our origin story may be a certain way. So back to the origin story, I really believe that somewhere, somehow, someone mm-hmm. provided a message that told us as a young girl or boy mm-hmm. or whatever implicitly or explicitly you are not enough yeah so think about it i want to invite yeah. our listeners to think about it when you think about your life mm-hmm. and growing up whether it was with friends or family mm-hmm. or work or school what was that experience mm-hmm. somewhere someone somehow there was a message mm-hmm. that was seated there right is there ever a time like can we tell ourselves that because it's interesting when i think about my own i shared kind of a funny a couple funny stories in my podcast about myself but you know looking back like i don't i would not say in my history that mm-hmm. i I wasn't bullied. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. wasn't a target. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of people in my life that were overtly mean to me or devalued me. But I, for whatever reason, decided what I needed to be to be valuable. So yes. I talk about my funny yes. money yes. story, my, yes. the $10 million yes. lie yeah. that I told. Um, and I think about that. And I think it's funny because no one said to me, mm-hmm. like, if you have more money or cooler clothes, they will like you, but I absolutely made that assumption. There was a message, but in your case, it was a message that was implicitly mm. given to you. Okay. Not explicitly. Yeah. Some cases, there is going to be a bully who said, you yeah. know, you're too fat, you're too whatever, right? You're stupid. And, and in some cases, it's this implicit, wow, there's a cool group, there's mm. a popular group, and in order to be in with us, yeah. you've got to have these yeah. certain things, right? And so that's essentially yeah. telling you you're not enough. So the it's implicit, implicit is more undercover. Like you've got to do some pretty deep reflection to think about Absolutely. where some of those messages Absolutely. come from. It starts with self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And the root was her father implicitly said to her, if you are not a certain weight, you will not be liked by boys. Mm-hmm. And so that was what was driving this frantic desire to go from diet to diet, fat to fat, really struggling and hustling, right? So I don't believe the biggest problem is that we heard these messages, because guess what? That's a part of human behavior and human experience is that we are going to experience cruelty and rejection. Like that's just a part of it, right? But but the problem is that we believed it. Mm-hmm. We believed those messages many times because we don't know the truth. And so we don't know it that well, that deeply. So we can't distinguish between the lie and, tr- and truth. The lie feels like truth. Yeah. Right. And so something we've been doing, my husband and I have been doing with our three-year-old daughter is really t- speaking over her. You are worthy. You are enough. You are worthy. You are enough. And actually having her say that over mm-hmm. herself. I One day that. she actually came up to me. She said, mommy, you're worthy. You're enough. Oh, God knows I needed to hear it that day. I love that. Can we just pause on that moment for, I love that so much. You are worthy. You are enough. And I love that one, you're instilling that in your daughter at such a young age, because I think so many of us didn't get that 
message um, growing up. And we may not have gotten um, messages counter to that, but specifically putting it into words, I think is so meaningful. And so I just want to encourage all of our listeners to just take a moment and think about that statement. And what would the impact be in your life if you said those words to yourself if you said those words to your children consistently, and you also looked for other ways and other people in your life to say those words mm-hmm. to, and what an impact those words could have on them and their spirit and the way they feel about their existence. So anyway, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Okay, go, I, go yeah, ahead. I think implicit, I mean, really, I mean, just inherently when we grow up and we're born, and I have two young children, so I mm-hmm. see this firsthand, they believe they're worthy they're not yes. just just from birth right yeah. they they come and expect that yeah and in human experience over the years as you grow older sometimes you get all these really painful experiences that say otherwise yes and so really going back to the root the original mm-hmm. design mm-hmm. that we are worthy and we're enough there's a difference between shame and guilt which mm-hmm. i love that distinction and i think it parallels what we're talking about here so Brene Brown, one of my favorites, yeah, me too, me too. Uh, says that uh, guilt is you are doing something wrong. So mm-hmm. guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. Mm-hmm. Who I am in my core is wrong. And that's the distinguish- distinguishment yeah. that we have to um, um, understand is that I can do mistakes. I can make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I can be not perfect, right? Because mm-hmm. we're all not perfect. But that doesn't mean I'm not within myself yes. and my core valuable. Yeah. Right. So I really love uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. I think that's something that's super practical that our listeners can look into. I have a book that I recommend at the end of this podcast. Um, so CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is one of the most tried and true evidence-based interventions when it comes to psychology. It's used very widely for anxiety, depression, insomnia, etc. It very much can be used uh, for this kind of um, distinguishment around our value, mm-hmm. especially combating mm-hmm. uh, imposter syndrome. And so the way that think about CBT is really to think about what you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. So we have automatic thoughts. We go into the boardroom meeting, we go prepare for XYZ, we we show up in these different arenas of our life and really thinking about what we're thinking about before we even have a feeling, mm-hmm. right? We have thoughts. That's why my, my belief. So the feeling of imposter syndrome or the experience of imposter syndrome, there is a host of thoughts that, that go along with that. Yes. That says, hey, you know, so-and-so is so much better at right. this than you are. <laughs> You, I mean, look at you, like X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, right? And just really evaluating those thoughts and understanding. So the second step in cognitive behavioral therapy is looking at what categories do these thoughts fall under? So the categories are cognitive distortions. So what cognitive distortions are is basically realizing, wow, a lot of our thinking is actually quite distorted. Mm. It's not rational mm-hmm. or balanced at all. Mm-hmm. A, an example would be black and white thinking, fortune telling, mind reading. We do it all the time. Yes. All the time. Guilty. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> and, and is it rational? No, it's not. Okay. Last time I checked, you are you and I are not fortune tellers. We're not right. mind readers, yeah. okay? Yeah. But we do it all the time. And so... The key is to replace that with a more rational, balanced thought. Mm-hmm. So an example would be if somebody studied for an exam, the, their negative thought could be, 
I'm going to bomb, I'm going to bomb, I'm going to bomb. But they study for it. Yeah. And so a more rational thought to replace that is not, oh, 100%, you're you're going to get 100%. Mm -hmm. That's not a rational thought. Right. So some of this positive psychology stuff. Right. Like just think positive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a super mall. Yeah. You know, it's like. (laughs) Not rational. Yeah. Not necessarily (laughs) rational. Right. It's like, it's like really thinking about how do I replace that with something more rational. Okay. So in the case of this example with the test, I've studied, Mm -hmm. I prepared as hard as I could and the likelihood based on what preparation I put in is that I will pass. Mm -hmm. Right. Not that I'm going to bomb or not that hundred, I'm going to get a hundred percent, right? But thinking more rationally. And uh, the, the core of CBT is really distinguishing these core beliefs. So think of the, the um, automatic thoughts as, as um, raindrops that come out of a cloud, mm-hmm. okay, if you will. The cloud is really the source of all those automatic thoughts that come out, right? Yeah. And so for many people, that core belief is I'm not enough mm-hmm. or I'm not X enough or I'm too much, too little, whatever, right? And so so um, really distinguishing where that's coming from and then that's the core belief, mm-hmm. right? And so we want to replace that with more rational thought and when we can name those thoughts and we're starting to recruit the prefrontal cortex and um, really get into more of that, that thinking. And so um, the way the brain works is the brain is the command center of our body. Mm-hmm. So guess what? We get to rewire that based on how we train it. So that's really the best news of all of yes. us is that no matter how- We can train ourselves, yeah. No matter how much we've been beat, this whatever message that's negative in our life, we have the ability to retrain our brain. Um, so brain researchers have revealed that every thought is a chemical reaction that passes through a channel composed of receptors and connectors that lead us to awareness. And when that certain thought is repeated often enough, it forms mm-hmm. a groove, like literally it forms a groove mm-hmm. in our brain. So f- future thoughts are automatically returning to the familiar grooves in the brain. So as these grooves deepen over time, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm too fat, I'm too fat, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not smart, I'm not smart, right? whatever it might be, right? It takes greater effort to change those ways of thought thinking, right? Because in many ways it's damage, right? Imagine yes. the damage that's created when we accept negative ideas and invade our conscious and unconscious awareness from individuals, from the media, social media, etc. They can have a big impact on what we believe and consequently how we operate in the world. Yeah. So we easily become hypnotized into a negative groove. Oh, I love that. Hypnotized into a negative groove. Okay, everybody, let us not be hypnotized into a negative groove. And the last thing I'm going to say about CBT, right, and, and part of this exercise I do it all myself, very much can be executed on yourself, right, um, some of these skills is so for example let's say there's a lot of depression and anxiety that mm-hmm. come through these negative thoughts yeah and they're like eight or nine right mm-hmm. because of the automatic thoughts or that are getting it's like a broken record right yeah. but if i'm able to change those thoughts and form new grooves the that depression that's eight or nine or anxiety can go down to like a five mm-hmm. or four it doesn't necessarily go away all together it yeah. kind of lowers over time but it it automatically just by changing your thought so simply can actually decrease your anxiety and depression. Hmm. Very useful. It's like, so what you said earlier about think about what you're thinking about is one of the keys. Absolutely. So a couple questions around some of the things you've talked about in terms of being triggered. 
Um, so if we find ourselves triggered and we start to emotionally react, or as I like to say, we start to take ourselves down, mm-hmm. um, how do we get ourselves out of it? What, what are some sort of easy, practical ways that we can step out of it if we find ourselves suddenly being struck with that feeling of shame or I'm not good enough, imposter syndrome, just any of those emotional triggers for us. Do you have some applicable things that we can try? Absolutely. So yeah, I definitely would call it a trigger mm-hmm. in that something gets struck, right? Yeah. We get we're struck with a sense of shame, imposter syndrome, you're not, not enough. And I think the, the first thing is we have to be aware of that. Yeah. Right. Many times people are not. Mm-hmm. Next thing they know, they're they're eating. Yes. <laughs> they're they're indulging themselves in something yes. that just to numb out, right? Yes. TV, whatever you name it, something good or bad, yeah. right? And and they don't. Or they're sending emails when oh, they're yeah. triggered. Oh, I yes. know we've both seen worst. lots of that, That's right, worst, in a business right? environment. And then yeah. they regret it yes. the next day, yep. right? Yeah. Um, and so, really, how do you process an emotional trigger? So, simply, number one, definitely awareness. Okay. Um, I think this can be done either alone or ideally with someone emotionally safe. So mm-hmm. somebody you trust, somebody you don't feel like you have to filter who you are with yep. them, right? And you don't, uh, you feel recharged by being mm-hmm. with them, right? And so, uh, first of all, just self-awareness around, okay, this is happening. Yeah. Got it. Um, and then either journaling or talking to somebody mm-hmm. and really just identifying mm-hmm. what, what am I dealing with what am I feeling yeah. right so oftentimes my husband and I will do this on a daily basis he will ask me how's your heart or you know based on this whatever situation how's your heart yeah that's our kind of cue into Aww. processing this and he and then I will go into the emotion and I start off with naming the emotion yeah so many times people don't have the ability to really just get down to the feeling they will talk about what they think mm-hmm. so so-and-so did this and they're just going off yeah. and off and off and you know what it's there's a time and place for venting but this is different this is different than venting because yeah. you're actually being purposeful about naming the motion mm-hmm. so i will oftentimes for a client i'll pull out a feeling word list you can look it up on google yeah feeling word, feeling list. word list on yeah. google yeah. everybody google it yeah <laughs> so essentially it's just a yeah. list of feelings, yeah. right? And it can go everywhere from manipulated, boxed in, mm-hmm. anxious, control, I mean, whatever it might be, but the nuances mm-hmm. of it, you're not just feeling anxious and stress. Stress is a whole layer of multiple things that yeah. are specific to your situation. So the, the more nuanced and more specific, the better. Mm-hmm. You're gonna recruit that mm-hmm. prefrontal cortex better, right? Okay. So, so I name my feelings, I'm feeling, really anxious, I'm feeling um, inadequate, mm-hmm. I'm feeling shameful, I'm feeling insecure, etc. right? And then he will repeat back what I what he heard. And essentially that makes me feel heard, mm-hmm. right? And then he puts on his therapist hat or his detective hat where he asks questions. And yeah. sometimes I'll even do it on myself so you can yeah. journal this out. And I basically drill down, and there's no right or wrong way to do this, but essentially to to drill down into, okay, so what what about that makes you feel that way? Yeah. Um, what out of all the emotions that you listed, which one's the strongest for you, mm-hmm. um, etc. 
Mm-hmm. Right, and guess what? This can be done for conflict too. So my husband and I will we use this all the time That's for conflict. That's so good. No, he's. I just want to clarify. He's a psychologist. <laughs> he is. He's... He is training to be. Um. Uh. He's getting his master's. Okay. As a therapist. So. So most of us cannot yeah. hold our husbands to the standard <laughs> of asking us how our heart is because I'm not sure that would ever come yes. out of my husband's mouth. Although he's lovely, and Understand. if I told him to Understand. say it, he Understand. would say it. Understand. <laughs> but I love that you it's do that tra- for each other. It is a trait. Yes. That's really and, good. And you know, I, I say this only because I really believe we can all gather some tips from this and actually just implement it. Yeah. And I know it doesn't come natural to people, mm-hmm. not everyone is trained to be a therapist, mm-hmm. right? Um, but but being able to just get attuned to people's heart instead of just talking them on the yes. surface level. Yeah. And and it's very therapeutic, mm-hmm. right? Like here he is, he's asking me questions, right? And there's no no right or wrong question. Yeah. He can even ask me, so that feeling of insecurity or mm-hmm. that feeling of inadequacy. Are there other times in your life that you felt that way? Mm-hmm. And I can actually sometimes pinpoint mm-hmm. the very memory where of where it started. Yeah. Like so-and-so did this and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And so um, after that's done, then the very last thing he does is offer up comfort, emotional mm-hmm. comfort. And that is just saying, you know, Renee, is there anything I can do to make this feel better or yeah. Anything. Yeah. And so he asked me to define it, not mm-hmm. the other way around. So many times he's like, not like telling you why you're feeling or yeah. He's not fixing. Yeah. By the way, fixing oh, is like that's really one good. Enemy. That's to really good. Do emotional comfort. Yes. I can go off on that, but I won't. But yes. it's like fixing is number one thing you do not it's do. It's the no no <laughs> no fixing. So so if the if the husband or your friend or whoever doesn't yeah. know what to do. Just tell, just say, I hear you, I see you, I yes. validate what you're, what yes. you're saying. That's it. Don't I even, like don't that. even try I know, to do anything because else. when I'm, usually when I'm upset about something, number one, it's never really about what I'm first talking about. Absolutely. It's always deeper Absolutely. than that. Yeah. And secondly, when my husband, who I adore, and he is meaning well, but he's a fixer. So when he tries to fix it, it actually adds to my irritation and anxiety. Oh. And, and and I'll say one thing about that yeah. is, so fixing, the reason why it's dangerous for relationships in a way, even though it's well-meaning, yeah. you know, but it's counter yes. to trying to help the other person, yeah. which is what the other person is trying to do, right? right? Is that it ends up making it about themselves because mm. they have anxiety about you about how you're feeling. Being you know, having yes. distress, right? Yes. And so it makes it about themselves. Yeah. And so, and you're really talking at and not with yes. the other person, right? Yeah. And so it really can be invalidating and somewhat demeaning at times, mm-hmm. right? Kind of like talking at that person. Yeah. Right. So, so that's a number one thing you yeah. don't do, right? Okay. So I like so that. I love, yeah. I'm filing and, that one away. And you can, you can process this on your own. You can totally yeah. journal, like uh, all of this that I'm saying mm-hmm. on your own. So those are my thoughts about. I love. I love that. That's so yeah. helpful. And so I'm curious. Um, you've seen a lot, both you know the p- patients that you've treated, and also people in a corporate environment. You've been in corporate environments. So what have you seen to be the long-term effects of not dealing with triggers or these emotions around not being enough? Because a lot of people. I think initially prefer mm-hmm. to just stuff them down, put them away, and not deal. So, what are some of the long-term effects that can happen if you don't deal with it? 
I think it's just a quick note on that. I think it's really good for people to identify what their go-tos are. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. when you're stressed, what do you do with that stress? Yes. Right? Because that's an indication you're not processing your okay. feelings, your emotions, you're kind of right? Yeah, you're distracting totally yourself. And so, or... the, so the question is, what's a long-term effect of doing that very that thing? thing. That right? Like feeling. having a glass of wine every yeah, time you or feel whatever, anxiety right? or whatever. Yeah. And so that, that's obviously yeah. how it goes. <laughs> Totally projecting right now, but yeah. So this is the analogy I love using with clients is really a ball. So think about a ball filled with air and I am pushing down that ball underwater and I'm pushing it down and it's like, okay, doesn't exist, doesn't exist. Guess what? Harder I push it down, the the harder it's going to come up to the surface. Mm. It's going to splash and it's going to make a mess, Mm -hmm. right? It's going to disrupt my life, Mm -hmm. right? And so... Thinking about that is that, you know, many times when we push that down, right, it's hurt, right? It's mm-hmm. pain. Mm-hmm. And we have to think about there is, uh, there's going to be ramifications to that. Yeah. And so uh, to me, whether it's a good addiction or a bad addiction, you're still not dealing with a root issue mm-hmm. and there's still going to be ramifications. So um, I really like um, encouraging people to think about this. This is good motivation for, for myself that hurt people hurt other people mm-hmm. so let's say somebody has insecurity and let's say okay let's say it's body image okay so using an analogy okay um i am actually working with a with somebody who has body image issues and they never were told by their parents that they you know you're too fat or you're mm-hmm. too whatever whatever you need to diet but the mom would complain about herself mm-hmm. you're like oh i ate too much or yeah. oh my goodness i'm so fat and she would do that self-deprecation yeah. to herself and so guess what? It impacts the daughter now. Yes. Right? Because it's she saw that about um, her mom provide yeah. that model. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a, not a positive model. And so um, really think about the long-term effects of other people, mm-hmm. like other the next generation. But also addiction is really trying to find comfort outside of relationship. Right. Right? So I talked about having that safe person, yeah. having that emotional safe person. It's so important because... Uh, eventually all those things yeah it might be a good thing like you're overworking out or you're working out too much I mean it's great you look great but you know what your emotional and mental health right. is in shambles I mean there's gonna be ramifications to anything, to anything. that you do anything over you yeah it's gonna come yeah up. yeah I like that so you're saying we should work on we should work through our staff <laughs> It's a benefit. It's a benefit. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be this big thing. It yeah. doesn't always have to mean going to therapy. So for some people, it, yeah. it could help, right? Having a partner in that yeah. in that space. Um, but sometimes it's just some mm-hmm. of the simple things that I mentioned. Yeah. And that was that's actually a good segue into my next question, yeah. which is, like, conversely, what are the benefits of digging in and dealing with triggers? Because it, I mean, on the surface, it it sounds like hard work and I think just from working through some of my own stuff it is hard work and takes energy and intention and I've coached people who actually have said to me like I lived through that you know when I was young I'm not interested mm-hmm. in re- I've never been Done. to therapy yep. I'm not go interested in revisiting mm-hmm. or going through it again and so what are some of the benefits of digging in and doing that hard work so besides not impacting the next generation, which right. I'm really passionate about as yes. a mother, it's really in my my mind, there's nothing disrupting your life, mm-hmm. right, on some level. And that emotional maturity and health is gonna be found in your mind, mm-hmm. right? You're gonna have a level of peace, 
you're also gonna have a level in a piece in your relationships. Yeah. You're also gonna have more capacity to be able to be healthy mm-hmm. in relationships mm-hmm. and not have these negative cycles, right? That keep patterns that keep repeating, right? Yeah. And you don't hold your ba- yourself back from your maximum success mm-hmm. and potential. Mm-hmm. So that's really my my main yeah. takeaway for that. I really I like that so much, and I I think there are so many benefits, and I think. You know, I think of myself, you know, I'm 43 and um, it's been a journey for me and I'm in some ways just now, even through this podcast Mm -hmm. and really thinking about imposter syndrome and reflecting and being like, oh yeah, you know, I've gone through some of these things, but I'm 43 and so I like what you're saying about the next generation because I, this journey for me has made me think a lot about my own kids. Mm -hmm. And the example that I'm setting um, for both of them, but especially my daughter, you know, I um, have had moments now where I actually have gone to a place, not just like, oh, I have a daughter. It's like, I have a daughter. Like she needs to see a strong mom, you know, who is not being held back or talking negatively to myself or, you know, all of those things. So I, I agree with you. I think that next generation thing is really awesome. Can I say one more thing? Yeah. I just can't help myself because I'm so passionate about this. So hurt people hurt other people. And if anybody was afraid to start having kids, it was me. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh my God, I better have my stuff together. Because you know what? It's, it's, you know, I know a lot and I know how, how this can impact the next generation. And you know, guess what? I'm not perfect. Yeah. Me either. Me either. We're we're all getting together in this podcast. Yes, we are. We're all um, former perfectionists, right? right? That's right. And so, so for me, the, the big place of courage for me to become a mom Right, is not like okay. Well, I got this. Got to get this together. I got. I better know that I'm enough, and you know, I need to know that like super solid, right, and be perfect. Um, is I need to be okay with times that I make mistakes. Yes. And I told myself I'm going to be really good at two things. I'm going to be really good at apologizing to my kids. Yeah. Uh-huh. And owning my stuff, mm-hmm. right? And not being so full of shame that I don't apologize, yeah. which many times that happens. Yeah. Think about our own parents. Mm-hmm. They didn't apologize. Many of them did. And the second thing is I'm going to be really, really good at repair. So mm-hmm. when I do make a mistake, I'm going to do what I said about validating their feelings, yeah. asking what their feelings are. You know, asking them what do they need from mm-hmm. me, and if it's an apology, I'm gonna apologize. If it means you know whatever, whatever, I'm gonna yeah. just let that air out as opposed to asking them to stop it. Yes, I love that. Yeah. You know, I had a rarity growing up. My dad, who it was this very sort of like loud voice, could be very stern, mm-hmm. um, but loving man. He was big on apologizing, mm-hmm. and I remember as a okay. child feeling really awkward that he was apologizing to me very sincerely at certain times, but it really impacted me, and I actually make it a habit with my own kids also because I actually said to my daughter just the other day, I'm like, so I overreacted um, to something, and I said, you know, you do know this is the first time I've ever done this, right? And she said, what? And I said, parented a 17-year-old girl. Like, I've been one, but I, I, you have to know, I promise you I'm doing the best I can. I want to do everything right and perfect, but I am for sure going to make mistakes. And so, you know, I'm sorry. And it was interesting because I think for her, she was sort of like, oh yeah, I never thought about that before. But it is true. It's like, 
Um, we've never actually done this before. So we're just doing the best we can and we love you more than anything, you know? And a part of being enough and, and really understanding our worthiness is being okay with mistakes. Yes. That as our, our, yeah. abil- our, the, the identity grows and strengthens and being enough and, and worthy, we are more comfortable with our mistakes, not yes. less, more comfortable yes. with our mistakes. So, yes. so I love that. Oh, I love it. Well, we are almost to the point where we're going to wrap up. And mm. I'm so, I love, like I said, all of the solid data that the brain can be clearly our best friend or our worst enemy. Um, before we end, do you have any examples that you've seen in more of a work environment or corporate environment around the impact of negative versus positive thinking and results? Yeah. So I love this example just because um, it's from my own life and also it illustrates this very much so. So. Um, I had to do an exam to be a psychologist, a licensed mm-hmm. psychologist. So when you do a doctorate, you do it for five years and then you get your doctorate, you could be officially a doctor, but you're not officially a licensed psychologist until you pass this exam. Very mm-hmm. similar to the bar, right? And so here's this big exam and I really struggled with procrastination and kind of mm-hmm. floundering when it came to the study. So weird because everything else I was like on it, but not with this one. And I had to really face myself. I'm like, yeah. why am I taking so long mm-hmm. to take this exam? And I had to really do some soul searching to be like, wow, the reason why I'm not is because I feel inherently that I'm smart enough to do everything else, mm-hmm. but not this, yeah. not the, in an, a national exam. Mm-hmm. And to study for it and get closer to inching to taking mm-hmm. it towards, you know, towards, towards taking it is to confirm that I'm actually an imposter, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I resisted all that stuff. I worked with a coach who was provided uh, to me from a study co- company. And I had to kind of like really wrestle with like, no, like I think when unconsciously I felt like I was an imposter yeah. and, and I internalized that, the more and more I procrastinated, the more and more I wasn't good at retaining the material mm-hmm. because why would you retain something that would prove that you're a bad, you know, you're not good and that you're not enough, yeah. right? And so I realized that the more I claimed that I'm enough and owned it, right, that, you know, guess what? No matter what the outcome of this yes. exam is, I'm still enough. Yes. And so I get to manifest that truth. Yeah. I'm, I'm retaining more. I'm feeling more positive about the study process. I'm moving towards the south, not away. Yeah. As I was becoming more secure in that identity. Mm-hmm. So, so that I love that example just because that, and then I passed on my first try. Yeah. Like it was like, wow, I just, I couldn't, I almost couldn't believe it. Yeah. I could because. Is you, it's, it it's, I love that because it's really like what we were talking about, rational thoughts. It's, I've had that too. And for me, it will show up, um, as procrastination for sure, yes. or as sort of alienating myself. I tend to hide, yeah. um, or de- yeah, like decide like, um, I'm not very good company right now, or like I'll kind of go mm-hmm. internal, but it's interesting because what you were saying earlier about rash replacing with rational mm-hmm. thoughts. I think that is 
um, like for you, that experience that you just relayed, it's like you knew like the data all said that you were smart enough. Like the data, like everything you'd done up to that mm. point, how hard of a worker you are, you're smart, like all of the data was telling you the truth and you just didn't believe it yourself. And so I always think to myself when I start to spin, like, am, is what I'm saying to myself the truth? Mm-hmm. And I like how you put it. Is it rational? Mm-hmm. Like, is it rational for me to think that I could pass this exam? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like everything outside mm-hmm. says I'm going to. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. I love that. Well, yeah. as we wrap up, um, this has been such a fun conversation and I would love to end with a couple of things. So first, are there any recommended books mm-hmm. that you would like to recommend for people maybe trying to work through this? Yes. Um, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Made Simple. Mm-hmm. 10 Strategies for Managing Anxiety, Depression, and Anger, Panic, and Worry. Okay. That book is a great one to start off if you want to do it on your own. To okay. apply CBT awesome. to imposter syndrome. Uh, that's by Seth Gillingham. Uh, and then The Secret Thoughts of a Successful Woman. Why Capable People suffer from imposter syndrome and how to thrive in spite of it. That That's by perfect. Valerie Young. And I love this book called How We Love by the um, K and Mylan Yurkovich. It's about processing emotions and mm. triggers. So some of that stuff I was talking about, how I conversed yeah. to my husband about my emotions um, and triggers, that is directly from that book. So excellent resource awesome and so everybody i will post these Mm -hmm. on social media when we launch the podcast so that you in case you're listening in the car or don't have a pen um and then as you all know we always end with a quote and i thought today it would be fun for dr renee to share one of her favorite quotes with us so do you have a favorite quote that you kind of say over and over to yourself By Brene Brown, and the quote is, you either walk inside of your story and own it, or stand outside of your story and hustle for your worthiness. I love it. That is so applicable. So lastly, how can people find you if they want to learn more about the work you do? I think a lot of the things that you're saying and even your style um, and all of the different arenas that you've worked in will really resonate with people. So how can they find you if they're interested in connecting with you on social media? She has some really excellent posts, great food for thought every day, um, or learning more about the coaching you do or the psychology that you do. Yes, uh, my website is my name, so it's www.bernaystjacques.com. Okay. And my Instagram is at doctor. So dr. Jacques. So R E N E E S T J A C Q U E S. Excellent. And again, I'll post this also so you all can follow Dr. Renee. And you know, we've been talking, this was such a fun conversation that we were thinking, um, as you all know, in the last podcast, I did a call out for some listener engagement, trying to just engage with listeners more and answer questions or gather topics that you'd like to hear more about. And so Dr. Renee has graciously offered to answer some of your questions. So if any of you have questions um, 
that you are curious about and of anything that we've talked about today, about the topic of imposter syndrome, being enough, or anything else that we've talked about today, will you connect with me on social media? Just send me a message or email me at imperfectionwinspodcast at gmail.com. Again, I'll put it in my bio on Instagram so you can easily find it. And we will hopefully get together again in about a week or so and answer some of the listener questions. We'll have a chance to maybe discuss a couple of hot topics around this that are happening in our society today around this concept of being enough. Um, And one thing I do want to clarify so everyone is aware is that so Dr. Renee's commentary or advice that we share as we answer those questions doesn't constitute a client-therapist relationship. Um, Certainly you can reach out to her individually if you're interested in establishing that relationship, but just want to make sure we're clear about that. And Renee, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your expertise and your advice and some of the tools. I think it's just um, so helpful for people and so helpful to know that this is something we all struggle with and it's normal. I hope that you all enjoyed this segment. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, or leave a review, or reach out to me on social media. I always love to hear from you all. And don't forget to join us next time while we wrap up our series on imposter syndrome and head into the topic of resistance. And until then, have courage, be kind, and give yourself and others grace.